Welcome to Sales Velocity TV, where we pull back the curtain on how the top businesses in the world sell more with less resistance. Bringing over 50 plus years of combined sales experience and over 100 million in revenue generated, please welcome the hosts of Sales Velocity TV and two incredibly entertaining gentlemen, Andrew Cass and Aaron Parkinson. Hey, what's happening, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Sales Velocity TV, where we're going to have a tough talk today. We're going to have a tough talk, Aaron. It's going to be no, tough talk. No, it's not tough. Tough talk. Hey, listen, I'm just going by the title. It's a tough talk on money, marketing, and mindset. And those are three very big buckets, by the way, that affect, I feel, every phase of business ownership and entrepreneurship. What say you, sir? I, I actually really like the topic because it's less tactical today and more philosophical and yes. the like the reality is is that yeah tactics move um small levers and strategy and philosophy moves big levers so and listen like we do a ton of tactical stuff right we do so we want to balance that out if you're listening in for the first time it's a sales show we're mainly going to help you move the needle on sales but one of the ways you move the needle on sales isn't always about the sales itself it sometimes is about the systems the philosophies in the way you think about sales in your business. And it leads back to sales because at the end of the day, obviously, if you're not going to, if you want to be in business for a long time, naturally, you need to sell a lot of stuff. So that's the obvious. Yeah. But then the unobvious is more of a today episode, right? What are some of the methodologies and philosophies that have to happen here on how you think about money, how you attack marketing, where your mindset is for all that to really be executed well, right? Not just executed well, because you make a good point in executed well, but also executed consistently for the long run because it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Mm -hmm. I love it. So I'm going to go to you first. Okay. What is you? Okay. What is, what is, how am I going to put We're talking about what, money first, right? Yeah, we're going to talk about money first. Money has to come first, right? It's money. It's marketing. It's mindset. And I was telling you, Aaron, before the show, when I was running a monthly seminar here in Florida, I ran a seminar business for about 10 years. A lot of people know this that watch the show. And um, that was kind of the theme of my, even though it was a marketing and sales oriented seminar environment, I built the events around these three pillars, money, marketing, and mindset, because I feel like those are the three things that, it's almost like three legs of a stool, right? Yep. If one component is missing in a business, the whole stool tips over, right? So if right. you have a money problem, maybe you can't manage it well, you're terrible with it, you can't make enough of it, you can't turn a profit, you're dead, right? If you have a marketing problem, you're not going to get any customers, and right. if you have a mindset problem, you're probably not going to be able to go the distance because you'll have an attitude problem. And that might spill into the production and the productivity and the way you operate and build a team. So you see how they're all, they're all intertwined. So when I ran my events, I was always focused each event on the theme of today would be on money. The theme of today would be on marketing. We used to rotate that through the event. Some people didn't even notice we were doing that, but that was my model. And I, and I worked inside of those buckets and it was very effective. So we're going to tack all three buckets here today on this show, which I think will be fun for you. Because the way you think about money, the way you think about marketing, and the way you think about your mindset, the way you attack these things will determine how well you do long-term. Yeah, and we're not going to attack the entire bucket. These are big buckets. These are big we're buckets. We're just going to attack a, general. a couple that, well, one each that we are passionate about inside of each one of these buckets. So a money philosophy, Aaron, that you hold near and dear to you as a business owner and entrepreneur is fill in the blank. Um, well, first off, I'll say it's one that was learned and I don't think that it's one that most of us, unless you had like really 
financially astute parents. Um, which, men, which most people don't, I feel today, right? Yeah, I didn't. You know, I don't know. I think that that that's not normal. That's not average, right? And so, um, as you know, I have built and either sold or you know scaled or closed down, you know, multiple seven eight figure businesses along the way, and for me, I thought that the that that the money that was coming into the business was there to perpetually serve the business and for me. Now, most people might listen to that and go, well, isn't that what it's for? Right. And it, and it brings me, you know, to my current CFO who, um, laughs at a lot of the businesses that he sees, especially in the digital marketing space where he said, it's funny how these small business owners, all of a sudden they've got a whole bunch of money in the bank and they instantly associate that with I'm well, rich. They, assist, they, they associate it with wealth a lot of times. Yeah. And, and, and if there's money in the bank, that automatically equals success, right? He's I'm like, good. You see so many of them, you know, flaunting Lamborghinis and Ferraris and nonsense all over their social media and, and so on and so forth. And it's because they don't understand the basic principles of accounting and they don't take into account the ebbs and flows of the cash inside of a business, right? And, you know, when I, 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 it took me a while to figure this out that, you know, the, I can't remember the guy's name from the Shark Tank, um, Kevin O'Leary, you know, Mr. Wonderful, Kevin O'Leary, the guy that's oh, always, course, of always like, show me your numbers, yeah. blah, 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 blah. Yeah. He's super offensive about it too. Super <laughs> offensive about it, right? I, I love yeah. him. I think he's hilarious. Yeah. And it was a great book too that he wrote, a, a, a book about him if you want to read it. He said, in this book that I read, he said, your business is a pig. He said, Did your you business say is a pig? Is a pig, like oink, oink. Uh-huh. He said, your business will eat every dollar that you allow it to. He said, you have to protect yourself from the insatiable appetite of your business. Interesting. And I didn't think about that or understand that concept until I realized that both of the businesses or not both, all of the businesses that I've had, I was approaching it from the perspective of like, everything's going to be amazing. This thing can only grow that entrepreneurial delusional mindset, right? So every time capital would come in, I just immediately push it back into some new big, bold initiative or idea or hiring people or whatever. Mm -hmm. Right. And then in the times that it didn't, the business didn't work. When the business didn't work, all of a sudden the business had no money and I had no money. Mm. And so the starting over wasn't just the, it wasn't just starting over. It was starting over buried under debt. Is it, and, it, and it's and, the worst feeling, isn't it? Oh and my it God. Happens, it's, it's and anybody awful. who says that's never happened to them is totally full of it because it happens quite a bit. Yep. Early on, at least, right? It's, there's, yeah, it's and, happened to me many times. It's happened to you many times, and it is not a pretty feeling. And this is a really good point you're making about how you approach the money. Is I think what you're saying here. Yeah, it is. And and so about five years ago, um, after I sold my last business, and I put myself in that spot, I let the business eat everything, including not paying myself for a year, not paying my wife for a year, who was working for the business, you know when, when businesses are struggling, like we, we just go all in, you know, and, and when businesses go bad and you've approached it this way, it's not the same as being an employee where all of a sudden you just go get another job. You know, right. that job didn't work out. You don't get it. Like you're literally homeless with children, right? Like it's, 
that bad, you know, and most people don't understand that's the risk that a lot of entrepreneurs take. Right. And, and so when I started over, I read a book called Profit First. I'm not sure if you've read the book. Yes, Andrew, I have. Or not. Did the audio book actually. Yeah, great book if, if people haven't read it. And, and it's, pretty, so, it's a pretty famous book also around this topic. It is a, a famous it's book. It's very, very well, very well recognized in the and so what I money did world. is both personally and business-wise, I approached it the money in a different way. I basically said the business has to make 40% profit, okay? It's not we're going to do all these things and hire all these people and then whatever's left over is the profit and we're shooting for 10% or we're shooting for 20%. No, 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 no. The business will have 40% profit. If something can't work in that mathematical equation to ensure that it has a 40% profit, then we don't do it. And like Tony Robbins says, you don't lack resources, you lack resourcefulness. There's usually a million different ways you can accomplish the same thing and still keep within your profit matrix, yep. right? And then I actually took an extra step and I carried it over into my personal life where I made a decision to never live on more than 30% of my income. And that was a really challenging thing to do because I've always lived at like pretty much 90% of my income. And to make it worse, I lived off 90% of my income and I didn't save any money for income taxes. So I was always behind on my income taxes, right? And that is a nasty compounding effect that happens when you put yourself in that place, right? So I shifted my mentality to living only on 30% of what I was bringing home and investing the rest. And I made sure that the business always had its locked in 40% profit margin. Now, either that means you have to be resourceful to keep that profit margin or you need to raise your prices or a combination of the two. <coughs> Excuse me. But it's a non-negotiable decision. And when you've got key players in your as your team grows, right? You get 10 people in your business, 20, 30, 40, 50, 80, 100, whatever. Everybody's gonna tell you where you should spend more money in different departments or different initiatives because everybody wants to see the business succeed. But at the end of the day, with you as the owner, it's your money. And if you don't protect that profitability with an absolutely lethal intention, your business is a pig and it will eat everything that you give it the opportunity to do. It is insatiable. I cannot believe so, I've never heard Kevin O'Leary say that. That is great. <laughs> that is great. So that's, I watch that show quite a bit. I love Shark Tank. That's been the single biggest money mindset slash system that I've put into play over the last five years. And not only are all of my businesses extremely healthy, my personal financials are, financials are super healthy. And I've, we've always got cash reserves to invest in things that are opportunities that you just can't turn down. Like the other day you came to me and said, hey, you want to buy this cannabis store in Florida? And I was like, sure. Right. If we do the due diligence and we like it, we'll buy it. Right. Like there's all that that cash is always there for the right time. It's not me having to chase it. I love it, man. How did qu question for you? And I think I asked you this in a previous episode. Where did you what made you decide on 40 percent in whatever business you're referring to now, whether it's, whether it's I did a lot of Google research on that specific industry on what was the profit margin of the most profitably run businesses in that sector. Got it. 
And then I said, okay, well. So you I'm, didn't I'm just not- randomly choose is my point. No, I didn't. Okay. No, I didn't. I, I, I said, okay. And there was all these different numbers, right? It's funny. Like you go in and it's like restaurants, right? Yeah. It's like, restaurants are like, well, if you make 5% profit, you know, you're lucky. That's like good or that's the norm and people just kind of right. copy one another, right? But I have friends that have 22% profit margins in their restaurant, right? So why would I shoot for, why would I lock it at five instead of locking it at 20? Right. Right. There's proof of concept out there. Mm-hmm. So I locked it at 40 and said that, and I've had plenty of arguments with my team about, you know, whether it should be at 40 or not. It's non-negotiable. That's the only point where this is a dictatorship, not a democracy. Mm. Got it. How about you? So mine is more metaphysical, I guess. Okay. Meaning that very few people consistently and proudly welcome as much money as they can into their life from every angle. As in opportunities, income streams, new clients, new customers, new subscriptions. They sort of get like squeamish about it. And I find that they end up deterring money as a result, right? The business owners that get very wealthy, get very rich in business, that are liquid in business, they are not bashful and they are not I'm trying to find the right wording here. They're not bashful. They're money not is hesitant. Not a dirty word. What's that? Money is not a dirty word to them. Yeah, they're not like they're – and I think it comes down to value. Like they know their value so well. Their product and service is so good that they're never, ever at odds with taking money, making money, and making more of it. And that's why they make more of it, right? So it's almost like, and then the flip side of that is, there's a lot of business owners who, as they start making more money, they start thinking, should I be making this much money? Do Do I I deserve this much money? So there's like a deserving, and they're at odds with themselves, and they're at odds with money. And let me tell you something, this will sound a little stupid to some people, right? It'll sound a little woo-woo, but money doesn't like moving towards squeamishness. Right? People are like, what are you talking about? Money doesn't move. No, money tends to move towards those who welcome money. I mean, it's one of those kind of universal principles that I could never explain. It's almost like a law of attraction kind of a thing, which I'm not, you know, I don't think you can lay back and hope for money and money will hit, but you need to be pretty open to receiving, I guess is the word I'm looking for. You need yep. a good receiver. This is where I was going. You need to be a good receiver of money. And very few people today, very few business owners are good receivers of money. They tend to deter money. They get squeamish around money. They think, do I deserve it? Like you said a second ago. And that's something that I learned early on, thank goodness, right? That if you know your worth, if you know your value, if you have a great product and service, you should welcome money at all from every angle. Now, if you're doing something shady, unethical, and you're not so sure about your, the value of your product and service, that would lead to the squeamishness in most cases. That would right. lead to the at odds with money. So my philosophy is more about being a good receiver, knowing your worth and welcoming money. Otherwise, you end up subconsciously deterring money or figuring out a way subconsciously to spend it away. That's another thing. You talked about this. You mentioned this in the beginning, Aaron. Sometimes you see money coming in, but a lot of times it's unconscious. It's subconscious. So you see money coming in. You're at odds with it. You're not a good receiver. And you almost find expenses and find ways to push it out. And then you and go, think, why don't I, I have any I money? Probably... I'm like, then you say like, why don't I have any money? Because you're a shitty receiver of money. And you're right. also a shitty manager of money. And money doesn't right. like to be shit on. And maybe it's because you don't believe you deserve it. Like there you said, we go. And now we're back to and, a deserving thing again. Exactly. I, 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 and there's probably a lot of that 
in my younger days where There's maybe no I doubt. just didn't really. That's a maturity thing also, by the way. That takes some. Yeah, maybe I didn't believe I deserved mm-hmm. to be wealthy, right? And I had to work through a lot of those things. And it's, you know, it's really, really common for a lot of people and they don't realize how many blockages they have blockages up around is the it, word yes there's some blockages, right yeah. i mean when when we were growing up together and we've known each other for a long time we used to talk about terms that people throw around like money is the root of all evil there you go or there's rich. bad there's there's very very damaging language around money that comes from upbringing right or rich people are evil or like all of these terms that people like to use and you see it happen in the media all mm-hmm. the time yeah. you see the media just constantly shitting all over rich people yep right yep and especially like, the like, current like, party in office the, the current party in office is tradition they're, they're on a mission the policies that they're that they're that they want to pass right now are very much geared towards taxing the rich at every single phase possible now i right. get the fact that if there's loopholes and the rich aren't paying taxes, of course that needs to be looked at. Nobody thinks they should not pay taxes. But when you continue to penalize them at every corner, which is kind of what's happening right now, right? Um, and by the way, those are the biggest donators to charities by far. There isn't even a close second. So if They're you the look at their employers, if you look at the exactly, if you look at that's where I was going. If you look at their charitable donations and you look at how many people they employ and give jobs and livings to, it is astronomical. But they're targets for that reason. It's incredible to me. Right. And when you look at like social media comments of people who are who are cheering this on, yes. they're rooting this on. This is this is a almost damaging money with, mindset. Almost without exception, they're all broke. No doubt. It's it's mathematics, man. It's not it's it's with ninety nine point nine percent accuracy. When you look at somebody like an Elizabeth Warren, not to get political, but she's just at every angle. She, I don't even know if she's a, a, even serves anymore, but all she wants to do is take down every single successful billionaire in the country. Like it's almost like she's. She's one of those politicians that is just, if you're a billionaire, I'm coming for you. Maybe it's because like she never earned any real money and she's like upset and it's spite, but that's, that's, that's the angle that that gets taken. And you got to ask yourself, like, is your conditioning in your mind, does it lead you towards aspiring to be wealthy or does it lead you towards not trusting or having distaste Towards because if you've got those things r- rolling around in your head, you're going to find a way to self sabotage. That, that, that's that that's it. It's a self sabotage thing, right? And a lot self sabotage around money. I mean, there Absolutely. are there there are people, Aaron, out there that run training regiments, programs, courses, events on sabotaging themselves when it comes to money. I think Tony Robbins and a lot of his work leads it goes there i mean a lot of its mindset but a lot of its mindset around money and the self-sabotage the stories we tell ourselves the the language and the phrasing we use are all money deterrents like they're they're they're, you're not going to be able to attract and bring a lot of money into your life if you have this damaging dialogue that's what i call it right i think i ran a segment once called damaging dialogue right if you have damaging dialogue around money that's problematic this is the rich dad poor dad story by the way world famous it's so funny that you chose those two because i was going to say two of the best people that you can read about like this through is is robert kiyosaki and tony robbins yeah and, and the rich dad poor dad books the book yeah. the first book which was an icon it was huge it was amazing a, and still to this day it's one of those like think and grow rich books which so just keeps selling and yeah. selling and selling think and, and grow rich is and people one. keep referencing and referencing and referencing right and that those books have stood the test of time for for decades, and they're all around, 
a lot of it's around your mindset around money when, it, when, it, when, when you think about it, right? The rich dad, poor dad. I had a poor dad who self-sabotaged around money and I had a rich dad who was constantly opportunistic. He welcomed money. He was always looking for opportunities. He had no problem making a ton of it. And he was also a great contributor with the money, charity, employing people. It was just, that's what he saw. That's what he became. Thank God he chose that route, right? That's the story of Rich Dad, which is, which is great. And then Think and Grow Rich, by the way, two great books that I don't think anybody hasn't heard of them. We'll put them in the show notes. But Rich, uh, Think and Grow Rich yeah. is a very metaphysical book as well. It yeah. is a book where when you read it for the first time, you go, so these are the behaviors I'm going to have to put in place around money. And there's affirmations thought processes, but yet this isn't, this wasn't Andrew Carnegie's ideas. These were the things that billionaires since the early 1900s have done. So you go, well, he studied 40 some odd multi-billionaires from 18th, 19th century. I don't know how far back he went. I don't even know if there were any billionaires when he did that study, but he did he did study Carnegie. He did. I don't know if Carnegie was a billionaire at that point or I don't know if they were all on the way, the Rockefellers. Yeah. They were the icons. And here's the thing that I think not a lot of people miss too, right? Like when I've been raising my kids, um, that's why I've been working from home for 20 years is because I wanted to raise my kids myself. And I always remembered thinking when I was growing up, why didn't anybody ever teach me about money? Like to understand it's a shame how to save it, how it works, how markets work, how loans work, how taxes work, how something as simple as balancing a checkbook back in the day when you had a checkbook was like concepts around leverage. Like, why didn't anybody ever talk to me about this stuff? And so I made it my goal to demystify the conversation around money with my kids. I talked to them about real estate. I talked to them about, you know, index funds. I talked to them about gold markets. I talked to them about loans. I talked to them about, I talked to them about revenue and multiple streams of income. And they're, they're like sponges. Like they take it all in. Right. And so many people, how many families do you know, Andrew, who say, we don't talk about money in the house. And here's the thing. That comment happens a lot. A lot. Or he's like, I used to hear that, hear that a lot as a kid growing up in the 80s. And I look at it and I'm like, why not? What does that even mean? It's one that what, almost like it's like, I don't know, like it's a, like, like it's a, taboo or embarrassing. Yeah, like I don't know what would make anyone say something like that. That, that to me is mind boggling. But that, that's, the root of, that's the root of the damaging dialogue right there. Right. I mean, if you think about it, the three things – and, and because I'm more of a, of a, of a marketing guy, right? Yep. The three things that people want is they want wealth, they want health, and they want love, right? Those are the three big, all the other things, everything else that's marketed is like a sub tier of that, of, of those categories. I think right? you'd be shocked today, Aaron, how few people might think they want wealth, right? But nest, but don't act in accordance in any way, shape or form to becoming wealthy. Correct. So we might think it's obvious that people want more money, but really it's more obvious to me today how few do based on their be- behaviors, everything. If your behavior yeah. around money sucks, then I can't realistically think you want to make more of it and ultimately become wealthy because it's a behavior thing. It's always actions speak louder than words to me. There's the words, there's the damaging dialogue, but then there's the behavior and the action and the way you operate, the way you live, the way you invest, the way you attack money, the way you feel about money. And that's really what determines the if you want to be wealthy. you with, what you read, so on and what so forth. What you read, yeah, we'll get to mindset in a minute. But yeah, it's the money, you know, the money conversation we could talk about for a long time. But I think you know where we stand on philosophy here. Let's go to marketing, which sure. really is everything when it comes to this show. It's a sales and marketing show. 
Um, I'll go first on this one. I think when it comes sure. to marketing, everything needs to be about lead generation. And shockingly, probably not the case for many watching this show, lead generation often becomes an afterthought in many businesses, meaning they do it off and on, sporadically, not consistently. And when I mean lead generation, I mean I mean acquiring leads from multiple different sources. I talk a lot in the show about having a portfolio of lead sources. Maybe you get leads from TV. Maybe you get some leads from radio. Maybe you get some leads from events. Maybe you get some leads from your Facebook ads. And having a portfolio approach to lead generation so you have stability and diversity and you're not relying on just one source of leads or customers. And when you attack the business that way, you're a multimedia marketing machine and very few do. So I'm a lead gen guy. At the end of the day. Yeah, and, and I think that, like, I'm obviously a lead gen guy too. Um, you certainly are. But Otherwise, you wouldn't be doing the show here. Right. <laughs> but the other side of the equation is I have so many conversations with clients where they've got maybe the lead gen somewhat down and they come to us to, like, amplify it up and, and you know, 10 exit or whatever. And I'll say to them, now, the other side of this coin, the yin to the yang, is constant loud promotion, Right. And constant loud promotion is either the business owner or somebody in the business or an actor or an actress. It doesn't really matter who that person is. Absolutely saturating the marketplace with extreme promotion of the product or brand. Extreme promotion, storytelling, community involvement, whatever it is, right? And so many of my clients shy away from that, but I don't really want to do that. You know, I just want to do lead generation and lead generation is, is fantastic. You can build, you know, up to a billion. I mean, one of the biggest companies that I can think of that just relies solely on lead generation is Agora, who I know you're familiar with, Andrew. They, yeah. they do about a billion a year, but they're, they're the anomaly, right? So lead generation could probably get you to a hundred million a year, but if you want to get to, you know, a billion, you know, you need to have both sides of the equation. And if you start with both sides of the equation, you know, doing shows like this, putting out content, doing, doing social events, like just being in people's faces 24 seven, right. It just allows you to not only get up the ladder quicker, but also a lot more sustainable because people know who you are. People buy from who they know, like, and trust. And see, right. And we talked about this and in, see consistently in, and see, see consistently. Visibility that, key. Right. And like we've talked about multiple examples of this in previous shows, your Richard Branson's, your Elon Musk's, your, you know, your Tom Brady, you know, I mean, the guy's doing freaking subway commercials and, and they're, they're joking about the fact that he doesn't even eat bread. And, and now he's, he's doing subway the Hertz commercials. You see the new Hertz commercials too now? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the guy's freaking everywhere. Right. And, and what is Which that by the way, just continues to amplify his off field brand. TB12. His off field brand and even his salary. Right. Yes, because everything. what people don't understand is that if the quarterback's well known, well liked, well loved, and they get signed to we a must team, have to pay him more. You gotta pay him more because he sells more merch. Right? It's because people already know, like, and trust him. So you have to be out there constantly promoting your brand in as many channels as you can beyond just the lead generation. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a good point. It's lead generation, but it's also being omnipresent and being very visible. Absolutely. So we're, we're, we're tied together on marketing. Let's Absolutely. go to mindset. Sure. What is your philosophy? What is a etched in philosophy for Aaron Parkinson on mindset? The way you, the way you attack between the ears. Um, I'll just talk about one of the things I've been focused on a lot over the last year, which is how many times in a day can I stop, be present, and be actively grateful for where I'm at? 
Gratitude. And I've been measuring it because you know me, I like to measure everything. The productivity and the joy in my day is directly correlated to the amount of times I stop and be grateful throughout it. When I find myself in an irritable, anxiety-filled, reactive mode consistently for a couple of days, mm-hmm. I can almost diagnose it instantly and and think, have I actually stopped to be grateful for what I have? Now, if you want to get super metaphysical on this, somebody once said to me, if you want, if you're saying, I want, I want in life, you've got goals, you're striving towards things, and you don't stop to say thank you. It's kind of like when you have kids and your kids are like, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. And there's no please and there's no gratitude. What do you do as a parent? You say, no, get out of here. If you're a good parent, right? You say, no, get out of here. But we don't correlate that with being an adult, right? Where you're like, I want, I want, I want, I want a nicer car. I want a nicer house. I want a bigger business. I want a, I want bigger muscles. I want a hotter wife. I want to, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. And you're acting like a fucking spoiled brat in the metaphysical state of the universe, right? And, and when you stop and you give gratitude throughout the day over and over and over again, you're saying, thank you. Thank you for all the things that you've been given and that you've been blessed with. And if you were a parent and your kid was always like that, what would you do? I'd give them more stuff, right? Because they're grateful and they're making you feel good about the transaction and they're, they're appreciative, right? And so it builds more of what you want because you're in alignment with the natural state of things. Yeah. Right. So that, that may be a bit woo woo. No, I don't think it is. I, I, listen, Aaron, one of the, one of the commonalities that I've noticed in studying some of the greats over the years and looking at the, the think and grow rich type books where even go back, you know, pre-internet and early you know, 19th, 20th century type entrepreneurs, even up to today, when you look at some of the big players today, if you study them deep enough, they tend to have a, a, a big gratitude muscle in their body, right? They tend to be thankful or take the time for thankfulness or take the time for gratitude. And it's something that, that, that slips our minds quite a bit. We often take for granted where we're at. I'm guilty of it all the time, right? You, you, you jokingly, jokingly, you bring me back to earth a lot of times. We'll look at our numbers in, in our business and, and I'll be like, man, we just had a record month, but we really got to stop playing small. We should be doing better. And you're like, what are you talking about? We just had a record month. You, you need to stop and be grateful for what we just achieved and the milestone we hit. I'm like, man, thank God you're here to tell me this because I was actually serious. <laughs> yeah. Well, and here's an example, right? So oh I, don't know if you can see, I don't know if you can see my phone here. I don't know if our viewers could see my yeah, phone. Yeah, yeah. Hold it right there. Maybe. Uh, right. Don't move. Yep. Can we buy the Humane Society a new washing machine? Yeah, I see it. Right. Came out so good. My wife sent me this text today. And she asked me if she – this is – Humane Society is the SPCA um, here in the Cayman Islands, which is like the, the shelter, right, for yep. dogs and cats and animals, right? And they're posting in social media asking for volunteers to come and pick up laundry to wash it because their washing machine and dryer, they keep breaking because all they're doing is washing towels 24-7 to clean up after all these animals, right? Yeah, yeah. And so she she, she texted me and said, can, can we buy it? It's $1,000, right? Now – for a lot of us, we instantly go, Ugh! like it's a thousand dollars. It doesn't really, you know, directly benefit me. Why would I do that? Blah, blah, blah. But for me to be able to instantly say, of course we can, 
right? And her send me all these heart emojis, right? That feeling that I get makes me feel so grateful for the fact that I can do it Mm -hmm. that the difference between me making $1,000 and me actually just giving $1,000, you know, which it's, it's like exponentially different. And it just instantly makes me full of gratitude for what I have, that I can make that decision that I, that I don't even have to think twice about it. And then it like lifts me up for the entire day because I feel so grateful that we could help somebody else. Right. Yeah. And and it just puts me in a mood that's, it's, it's almost incomparable. It, 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 the the kind of mood that that creates actually feels better than making a lot of money. It feels like, let's say you had like a record day in business. That's a great feeling by the way. Of course. That, what you just said right there has a different kind of a feeling. I did the same thing with my with my kids' classrooms this year. You probably saw this on social media recently. Um, but we installed a very high-end air purifying yeah, system into the classroom. Cool. Remember this? Into yeah. the classroom when the year started because, hey, shocker here. We gotta, we're in an airborne virus health crisis. But imagine cleaning the air, that concept. That might, be, that might make sense. Weird. No one's talking about it. So I mean, I've, I've been on this, this, this bandwagon for probably 10 years. I've always had really good... Good German bacteria cleaning systems, and there's one right here in my office. They're in my home, and obviously, when the pandemic hit, I was like, "Well, that seems to make sense. Let's get more." But when they went back to school this year, so two classes, my daughter and my son. In my daughter's class, I teamed up with the parents and did it, and they chipped mm-hmm. in. But I coordinated it, bought it, dealt with the company. But my son's class, I didn't have access to the parents for some reason. They didn't have the chat set up in time, so I just went out and bought it, paid for it, put it in the classroom. Same kind of concept of what you just said right there. And when I got in touch with the teachers and said, I'm coming in to install this gift of cleaner air so these kids can, and by the way, there hasn't been one case of anything since this year, even. I don't know if it's tied to the air purifier, but it certainly is a win, right? Sure. Meanwhile, all the other classes are having cases, little ones, nothing crazy with the kids, of course. They're not in a pandemic. I won't go there, but the air purifier was huge. And what, what a great feeling to be able to buy it, install it, and have all the kids say thank you and the teachers be enamored. And since I had to get approval from the superintendent to even go in and install it, even they were like, wow, this is like the nicest thing anyone has ever done in the history of the school. I'm like, what? School's been around since like 1926. You mean in the history of the school? I mean, it's a big deal, but it, but we, we take these things for granted. You and I do these things on a whim. Some people, yeah, that's and, and it's just a monster leap. I wasn't really thinking about it in the context of this conversation, but if you have a hard time manufacturing your own gratitude, like you have a hard time zoning in on it and you're like, man, I, I just, it's a challenge for me. Yeah. And it is for go, many, by the way. Go give something to somebody in need, right? Like Tony Robbins has a great story in his book. I don't know if you know this, Andrew, where um, there was this person that that was um, giving away um, food to families at Christmas and they hit him up for a donation and he literally had $17 left to his name. And this is like at the early on Tony, right? Early on Tony. Like I know and the story. he just felt compelled to like, he was like homeless at that point and he just gave them the 17 bucks. Right. And the feeling that he got off of that was so extreme that no amount of money at that moment could have made him feel better. So now the, the core of his, of his companies, which is something like $500 million oh a year, gosh, yeah. Yeah. is he feeds 
it's some just it's a huge number, huge yep. number. Like I want to say, like it's, he feeds a million people a year or he, something. He does, he does. He has. A, you know what it was? You know what it was when he was with his mom, and she, I think she was a drug addict. Yeah, yeah, she was. She Somebody was. came and dropped food off at their house for Christmas, and it impacted him so tremendously that he said that, one day, that yeah, that yeah. he said I'm going to repay this, and and then he gave like his last $17 the when he was practically homeless himself to the same fund and now he actually funds the whole organization um with something like a million people fed per year and he said there's no amount of money he can make that that replicates the same amount of gratitude and joy that gives him and so if you're in that position where you're maybe you know you're having a hard time manufacturing it walk out today and just give time or give money to somebody else who's less fortunate than yourself and watch what instantly happens internally. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a good one. It's a good one. It's do something over the top for somebody or buy something like you and I did contribute something like you and I did. Yeah. Time or money. Right. I mean, if you don't have the money, it's the time. If you have the money and you don't have the time, do the money. If you have both great, but this is one of the big benefits of being success. This loops back to money, by the way, right? If you're good at bringing money in, You'll have money to give. And what's interesting about those that make a lot of money, again, we see governments demonizing the rich, but yet they're the ones contributing the most to society, to employment, to charity, never gets talked about. It's crazy, right? When you don't have a lot of money and you're not good with money and you don't bring a lot in, you're not going to be able to contribute that much money to the causes that need you the most. It's all a big circle, right? And it's all how you feel about it in the beginning. So how do you feel about money? How do you feel about your marketing? How do you feel about mindset, right? They all sort of tie back together. Maybe the marketing piece is very specific to business, obviously. But the money and the mindset thing, there's overlap. Right. There's definitely overlap. They're, they're intertwined because you can't make a lot of money without doing money mindset. marketing and great promotion, right? Exactly. Like you can't just stand in the middle of the street and expect people to hand you cash. You know, you can be, you can be a panhandler on the side of the street and make 50 bucks a day. Okay. Right. But, but can you make 5,000? Can you make 50,000? No, you can't. Right. You can only do that when people know, like, and trust you and you have something to offer to the world. Yep, exactly. And here's a, here's a piece of advice Aaron, I want to leave off with today that I think is really, really important. And I learned this early on and I'm very good at this today. And so are you. It's you also have to be really good at choosing business models that even put you in a position to make a lot of money. Some people choose business models because, and anybody that says follow your passion and the money will follow, please run the other way. That is a charlatan. That is not true. There are no economics behind that statement and economics matter, right? So we're going to leave off with some pragmatic advice here today. It's yes, that helps. But it isn't the only thing here. Certainly, if you can find a passion and you're, you're loving what you do and it's always helpful, but it doesn't mean it's going to allow you to become wealthy or rich in the business. And looping back to my philosophy, if you're in business to not get rich or become wealthy, you probably shouldn't be in business because the stress isn't worth it. You can get a great job that can make you the money to pay your bills. But if you don't want to become very wealthy and rich and comfortable due to business, Business ownership might not be for you. But here's the thing. Choosing a business model and being in an industry that makes sense and that can allow you to grow and scale to the numbers you want to grow and scale to is everything. I can't tell you how many business owners I come across on a weekly basis and look at their business model and I go, and I don't oftentimes say it unless they ask, but I might just go, 
you know, I just don't see the money, right? Like you and I are looking at a business right now. We talked about, you know, we're looking at potentially investing in cannabis, medical marijuana, huge, huge, enormous business in America right now as states go legal and as the medical thing is huge in certain states. But there's certain elements of the business that I look at and I go, I don't, I don't, it's as great as it would be to be in that business model because on the surface you go, wow, it must be a cash cow, right? This is kind of how a juvenile mind thinks. Oh, cool. It must be a cash cow. We should invest in it. But then there's different elements of the business. You can go, I don't see the economics here. I do here. I don't here, right? So if you don't take the time to do that, you could end up in a business model that sounds cool and fun and exciting, but has very little income potential. Then you're stuck. And this yeah. happens all the time. You get stuck because like your passion got the best to you, but you forgot about the economics and really figuring out is the business model able to even pay me what I wanted to pay me? I'll give you a perfect example. When I got out of college, all I wanted to do was own a gym, own gyms. I was like fitness guy, exercise physiology. I almost got a master's in that. I was going to maybe go back to school and get into uh, corporate fitness and wellness. And I just always wanted to own a gym because I lived in the gym. But thank God I didn't because gyms have the worst economics in the world. Now, the gyms that have great economics go beyond the gym. Personal training, nutrition, consulting, online, right? So you can make it really work well. But I, on the I, back, I've owned a gym, as you but, know. But I, I know you, it. You know, there's no numbers, right? But nope. it sounds fun. It's like owning a restaurant. I owned a restaurant in Manhattan, too, at one point in my, in my, in my days, and we got absolutely massacred because it, <laughs> it sounded like an amazing idea, and we, we put a few hundred grand into it. And Sounds we, fun. You know, we were in Union Square in New York City. And man, it was so cool in, in our 20s, me and two of my partners, to be able to go, you know, we own a restaurant in Manhattan if you ever want to come in. It was so cool going in, being around it for the six months or a year that we had it. But man, we got our heads handed to us because we were young guys that just thought it was cool. Didn't understand. There's a lot of people that go into business and plot money down because they think it's cool or sounds right. good. Restaurants and gyms come to mind. I've done one and I wanted to do the other. So leaving off with this point is be careful with the business model you're in because you need to make sure the business model you're in, even if you love it, has economics attached to it that can allow you to scale. So here's one of my questions, Aaron, that I, I didn't even tell you this, but I'll tell you now, is I asked the, the guys that I'm doing due diligence with in the medical marijuana space to potentially invest. I said, here's, here's the deal breaker for us. Is, am I able to install a subscription or continuity model in your business or is that against franchise rules? Because if there's no continuity and there's no subscription opportunity, I'm probably out no matter if, even if you paid me to do it, right? So he's like, great question. We've never had anyone do it. We'll get with corporate and find out. So you see the, you see the questioning here? Very little stability if you're in a business without continuity and subscription income. Right. Very, very you? big problem. Can I ship you our newest strain of marijuana once a month for $99 for you to sample? It's so funny you said like that it. because here's what I asked them. You and I haven't talked about this. I no, said, listen, here's what I want to do. I'm giving you my business model. You can steal what I said because you know how people are. I don't want to tell anybody. Go take it, right? It, there's, there's, I'll, I'll outmarket yeah, and sell. I'll no outmarket and sell. They're not going to do anything anyway. I'll, exactly. Or I'll outmarket and sell you anyways. So here's my business model. I want to do a monthly newsletter, physical print on education, the education of cannabis, medical cannabis. Right. So we would have a, a research and writing team produce a nice, I don't know, four, five, six page newsletter every single month. And then we would do a sample of the month on some yes. sort of CBD product. This month, it could be a gummy. This month, it could be a tincture this month, it could be whatever. And it just, it physically arrives in the mail every month. I said, maybe it's a $49.95 per month membership. 
And if I can't do that, I'm out. If I can do that and it's not against franchise guidelines and you're willing to put that in an agreement, then that makes the business model very satiable. If not, it's a transaction-based business model on selling medical memberships or selling, um, I think it's a medical marijuana license for like 200 bucks a year. I'm like, who makes money on that? Sounds awesome. You can be in the medical marijuana space, all that money. Think about how big it is in the news, but where's the, where's the beef? That's right. and, what and, you want to think the about. Question, what was the question that I asked you when we looked at it? Don't remember. Tell me. I said, great that for now you need a, a medical license. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To buy marijuana in Florida. Mm-hmm. But what happens when it just becomes legal? I got the answer, buddy. Well, do, do you yes. want to share it? You want to? Because yeah, I'm like, course, then you're, just, you're no different than anybody so else. So check What's this out. So my concern, see? again, due diligence, guys, really important as you're watching this is does the business model and can you think ahead? I've always been very intuitive with trends and geopolitics and economics. And I, I, I've always had a knack for seeing a little bit more ahead of most. And I don't say that to brag. I just, I thank God I'm blessed with that ability, right? And same thing here. I said, what happens if Florida goes legal? Florida's a medical marijuana state. I'd love to invest in the medical marijuana business. It's a cash cow or potentially. What happens if they go legal? Is there suddenly no need for medical? Here's the loophole. If you buy marijuana, I don't know, let's say it's Colorado or Washington state, those or California, Massachusetts, wherever it's legal, you're paying between 20 and 30% sales tax when you buy recreational. If you buy okay. medical, zero. Okay. And That's if you C. buy, and here's the thing, now all of a sudden we're getting into some economics, Aaron, right? And now, if you buy medical with a real prescription from a real doctor, which I'm always a fan of, I don't like anything recreational personally, the credibility's there, the accountability's there, and the fact that it's medical backed is there, and then you're not getting hammered for 20, 30% recreational sales tax when you just go down to the dispensary and like buy a thing of gummies, you're getting creamed. Not to and mention you're probably dealing with a higher quality of individual. Without 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 question. Yeah. So there's some elements there at play that give the medical marijuana business that I'm looking into some legs versus if the state goes legal. So it's just, you know, a little bit of inside baseball here for you listeners. I think it's always important to maybe see what we're looking into, right? Looking into being investors and other things. And again, this is a money mindset, right? It's a, it loops back to a money mindset. Where is there another money opportunity? It's Shark Tank. Kevin O'Leary, where is the money? Show me the money. Where are the income streams, right? So for me, the takeaway here, can a subscription model be installed? What does it mean if 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 medical what is what does it mean for where we are in Florida if the state goes legal? What does it mean for the medical so we're looking at the medical side of things, right? So what does it mean if the state goes medical, right? These are little things that make all the difference. Those two things in this in this due diligence make all the difference in business in my view. Because if those two things are not known, then you have you go into it unknown and you go into it with, with very little income potential and, and very little idea of what happens if, if the industry or compliance changes. Yeah. So leave you with a little due diligence on the economics of the business that you're in. Make sure you're in a position to even make money. Make sure you're in a position to make big money and be okay with making big money because you shouldn't be in business if you don't want to make big money. Who said go big or go home? I don't remember. But I've lived by that for a long time. You Absolutely. Should. Absolutely. Let's wrap it up. Let's wrap it up. Let's wrap it up. This was a good one. Tough talk. It wasn't that tough, really. I think we could have been tougher. It was tough talk on money, marketing, and mindset. 
But hey, hopefully we shared some ideas and philosophies that will maybe get you unstuck in these areas because they can be sticking points every step of the way. All past episodes, by the way, salesvelocitytv.com. We're live every Friday in the Public Sales Velocity TV Facebook page at 11 a.m. Eastern. We will see you in the next episode. Aaron, this one's a wrap. Happy Friday. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Sales Velocity TV is powered by Pipeline Pro, the ultimate all-in-one sales pipeline management and marketing automation platform that makes all others obsolete. And we can prove it. Take a tour at gopipelinepro.com. See you on the next episode.